to Cooper Talk. Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I'm going to tell you something, people. I've been having so many musicians on lately. And you know, in the beginning, I was almost all comics, TV writers, and actors. So I was flipping around Twitter, and I saw a wonderful actor. And I figured, hey, I'll throw her a tweet at her. And she decided to do the show. So I'm looking forward to talking to someone who's an actor, who's a very successful actor, an Emmy-nominated actor. Uh, was an iconic role in an iconic sitcom, and she has a book out, and she just had a Zoom audition, and my guest is Julia Duffy. How you doing, Julia? Hi, Steve. <laughs> I can't say what the Zoom audition was for, but... What is it like for you, Zoom auditioning? Because I know so many, um, you know, I talked to different actors that some like being, love being in the room, some like videoing it. And then I guess Zoom is even a, isn't a video. It's a, like a, like this for an audition. Tell me, how, what's the process for a Zoom audition? That was the only time I've ever done one. And it was a callback from a self-tape. You know, everything is a self-tape now. Because it was getting that way anyway. But of course, with COVID, it's all self-tapes. Um, I love self-tapes because I have so much control. But I had only ever had a Skype audition one time. But this was before COVID. And they were all together. So it was just like being in the room. You know, I could see all of them sitting there. And I was standing here and they could see me and what was probably a very large monitor. And it was great. I felt completely in control. Zoom? <laughs> totally different. First of all, an audition should not have multiple screens. It, it doesn't work <laughs> that way. It would have been better if I had simply been with the creative team and my husband could have been the reader but then you had the casting people and it's oh I have so many things to say about it but it it was a very poor way to do an audition especially a callback it just doesn't work on zoom now when you when you do these zoom auditions is it like we are now we're sitting we're talking one to one or are you up and acting because I would think if you're up and acting your body they wouldn't see all of you. They would just see, you know, it would be hard. I mean, how, how did you act towards the, the, the grids? The thing is, I had so much more experience with self-tapes, in which case I had the iPad right in front of me. I choose where to look. Um, my husband reads for me, but I can't see him. I mean, I've got the thing in front of me. So that's fine. Not being able to see someone is fine because half the time when they do your close-up on a set, they tell you to look at the side of the camera box because they're trying to get two eyes. I mean, that's not ideal either when you're actually doing the job. So you learn to just use your imagination and make the camera the person somehow and just have your eyes off to the side of it. But with Zoom, you're seeing someone's whole room dogs going in and out of the room it's nothing like a self-tape or an audition in the room it is absolutely nothing like it and it doesn't work it's the wrong um, uh, type of thing for the situation whereas FaceTime or Skype would have been fine because it's one-on-one -on -one. and but you know you want to imagine something and it's hard to imagine something when there's this face and the dog, <laughs> it, it was not uh, ideal. Actually, I thought it went pretty well considering, but. 
Now that's it's you know when you think about it, you've been in a business, you've had a lot of success, and then this is going to be the new normal possibly. How does someone prepare? Because as you said, first it was a room, then it was self tape because it seemed to go into that trend, and now it's going to be Zoom. And for someone who's an actor who's had a successful career and has done the audition and self tape. They're not really used to Zoom. Like I, I, you know, I'm just getting used to Zoom. And you know, people, some people will go Zoom. You know, what the hell? Now, young people pick up right on it. They're like, oh, Zoom, and they love it. It's the only thing. But now, as an actor, what do you think about it being the new normal, or do you think that the casting people will sit there and go, you know what? We better do it on Skype because we're just not a, we're not getting that good good audition. Well, I think that Zoom is the worst of the choices for remote auditions. I understand in um, a callback situation, they want to interact with you a little bit, maybe give you notes. I think they should give you notes, actually, for the callback, what they're looking for, what they might like to see, because they've already seen your first audition from the self-tape. I think they need to ask the actors a little bit. I don't think that anyone has adjusted to it very well. But I think self-tapes are absolutely it for the future. And I think it's great because they will see the actor's best work. As you have, you can do it as many times as you want and any way you want. And I think they should also allow you to send in more than one version. If it's a complex sort of scene, you might want to show two different ways to do it. They lay down a lot of rules, like only send in one version and don't send in a second take and that kind of thing. I don't think that's very helpful, quite frankly. But um, I have to say that even before it became self-tapes all the time and COVID, uh, it might as well have been self-tapes because people were just having a casting assistant in the room so often. You would drive all this way in L.A. And it was just somebody running the camera. It wasn't even somebody equipped to give you a note ask you to do anything different would be maybe a 20 year old intern so why can't I stay home and do a self tape and get it the way I like it and I'm pretty obsessive and I will do it so many times you can ask my husband since he's the one who has to read with me yeah I was going to ask is, since your husband's an actor that must make it a little bit easier because I always see people on Facebook going yeah I need someone to read these lines and you know you know, it ends up being like someone's you know the my buddy's wife who's a therapist, nothing to do about acting. But for you, because he's an actor, it must make it a little easier. And because you're married, it must just roll off easier for you. It's much easier. And he also has done many self-tapes. So I can say to him, just do that part really fast because without cutting, just being on my face, it's going to going to drag on camera. So rush through those lines there. I can give him these notes. And he understands what the difference is. And he'll give me a note. And I would give him a note in reverse. The other day, or not the other day, a few weeks ago, I had a self-tape for a scene where the woman's husband was is really crazy. And she's like, whoa. And my husband did it so well. And it would have been a very strange thing to react to if somebody was just reading the lines. <laughs> But honestly, at the in-person auditions, a lot of the times they're just droning when they read. They, they, they don't do much or give you much. 
and their eyes are down on the paper and um, you really kind of have to take over. It's your audition and you've got to decide how you want it to be. Now, how are you getting used to everything is getting going on with the quarantine and self-quarantine? Because, you know, for an actor, you know, I know a lot of comics who they don't know when they're going to go back to work because they don't have an idea. For you, was it a good sign when you got to start auditions again? Did you say, finally, there's some new normalcy? Because this is your life. You've been doing this. It's not like, you know, some people, they act and then they sell real estate. You've been a very successful actor. This is what you know. This is your life work. How's it been for you to adapt? And has it gotten easier when things seem to be getting better and people start getting the vaccine? Well, for me, theater was becoming a big part of my career. I've done a lot of it in the last 10 years. And it was it's something that's sort of always there, especially if you're willing to go out of town. Um, a lot of regional theater. And, you know, I'm not young. And there's, I'm aware of how much career is left and ahead of me. And it's very depressing, quite frankly, to have that reduced at all because it's, it's such a big part of my future, which I think way differently about than if I, this was happening to me at age 35, where there's still so much future. I know I sound very downbeat, but it's just reality. So that's been very hard. And a lot of these things that I have auditioned for, for TV, for movies, have been delayed anyway. They haven't gotten to start because they had a start date and then something happened and they had to shut down production. There's been a lot of that. That's pretty strict. One COVID test and everybody has to stop working. So it's heartening that there have started to be so many auditions. I don't know how many of these productions have gone through. And I also believe that it's become really clear to the entire industry that people need their entertainment. People are desperate for their series to binge and their movies to watch. And more than ever, I think there will be a lot of production because we're not going to break that habit. Now, how did you get into acting? How did your whole career start? I always wonder, you know, because you've done stage, you've done TV. Did you always want to be an actor? Were you that kid in high school who was doing the plays? Or were you just someone that after, as you, you know, got out of high school, you decided, I want to act? How did your whole, how did this whole career start? Um, um, when I was a kid, I sat as close to the TV as I could. I wanted to be in there so badly. And I would, <laughs> I would watch like little girls on shampoo commercials. There were a lot of little girl and mom shampoo commercials. And I would think I could do that. I could just get my hair to do this. I could do that. <laughs> and it started like with that, because in those days you didn't see that many children in movies and TV. There were the entertainment business didn't cater to kids that much or even teenagers like they do now. Um, and I just desperately wanted to do it. I didn't know anybody else that was doing it, and that was good because I knew a lot of kids who were a lot of, who were good at a lot of things I wasn't, but none of them did that. And so I just desperately wanted to act, and 
this is kind of funny, but I had a neighbor and I had been asking my mom to let me take dance lessons. And she finally, we had like no money. And she finally agreed and she told me that I could take dance. So I had to choose between tap jazz or ballet at the dance studio and what color leotard I was going to get at. And I was overwhelmed with these choices and so excited. When I went over to my neighbor's house and her mother said, and my little friend was named Kathy, and my neighbor said, I'm going to send Kathy to drama lessons because I think she's too shy. And I remember thinking, she is so not shy. But that was what her mother wanted her to do. And she said, I'd really like to, since it's downtown, I'd like her to go with somebody. Do you want to take drama lessons? And I thought, do I ever, can you do that? So that was the end of my dancing career. <laughs> and I went to drama lessons. Uh, little Kathy didn't last very long. I stayed there for a few years and did plays. Took the bus downtown by myself. I passed the local TV station. This is in Minneapolis. Every day walking from the bus to the drama school. And one day I worked up my nerve and I walked in and I told the receptionist that I was an actor, actress, and did they need any actresses? I think I was 10 years old. She very sweetly did not laugh. She said, I'll take your number and I'll have them call you if they're looking for an actor. And I said, okay. And that was the end of that. But I really had to screw up my courage to walk into that TV station. Of course, this was a local outlet. They didn't make shows there, but I didn't even know that. I didn't know anything. And then I did plays in high school and community theater, a lot of community theater, and there were really excellent ones in Minneapolis. And that was wonderful experience. And then I did uh, a professional play at a stock company, stock theater, summer stock. Well, no, it was year-round stock, dinner theater-like place called the Old Log Theater in Minneapolis. And I worked there a few times. Then I went to New York to go to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. So I just went in one direction. There was no other choice. I was a one-trick pony. That's what I did. I didn't do anything else. So when you got out of school, you're in New York, and it's obvious you have drive. I mean, most 10-year-olds don't just walk into a TV station and say, hey, I want to be an actor. I mean, when I was 10, I was like hiding behind my mom's skirt, you know, like I was a little shy kid. Um, so you had, what was it like? Did you did you have that, that the passion and the outgoingness when you got out of school to actually, when it came where it's like, okay, you're in New York, there's a lot of stuff going on. Well, my school, the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, uh, is, has something of a different structure now. But it was a two-year program, and in the second year, you only did plays that time. There were no classes, just plays. You did one play after another. They did the casting of who would be in what play. They would choose roles that were good for you. They did wonderful plays. And everybody in New York came to see them. This was a different New York. This was a different business. The number of movers and shakers in our business in New York was much more finite then. So we had big casting people, agents, all kinds of people who had long relationships 
with my school, which had uh, started in about 1890. I mean, it was a, an old, old school with a long reputation. And they came to see our plays, but they weren't allowed to contact us until after the first semester, until January. And then agents could call the actors in. And an agent called me in and sent me an audition that day as I was interviewing with her. And I, it was for a soap opera, and I got the part. It was never that easy again, believe me. But it, it was just serendipity. What is it like when you get that part? You're someone who, you were just doing plays, you know, plays in school. And then all of a sudden now, you're coming on a set. Now, anyone who knows actors, whoever has ever been in the business knows that plays can be a lot more grueling than a set. Even though you said it's a soap opera. I know soap operas, you shoot every day and you have to learn your lines real quick and it's more of a set. But for someone who's disciplined as a stage actor, was it easy for you? It must have been cakewalk for you doing this just because it's like, this. I can learn this stuff and no, no problem. I actually found it very challenging, very scary. Learning all those lines when you had the script just the night before, every now and then you've had about a couple days ahead. Um, I didn't know anything about being on camera. Never seen a soap opera. We didn't study on camera acting at school. It was all theater based. All we did were plays. Um, people just, I mean, there's even places now where you can major in on camera acting, film acting. I find it so strange so different from my time so it was a lot of adjustment and with a soap opera you never really feel like you did your best you could always do better you think about it on the subway on the way home and think how you could have done that scene better you just don't get to the point of doing it as well as you'd like there's no time and it's a real skill when people pull it off but it was a great training ground despite the fact that I felt that way all the time and I went from that to another soap opera that I did for four years. And I, I guess eventually I got better at it. But it's incredible when people are fantastic on a soap opera. That is not easy to do. Now, you did another soap opera. So when do you start transitioning to network TV? When is, is that something that, you know, I know back then, you know, people really didn't leave, a lot of people didn't leave soaps. They did when they thought they were growing out of the soap. And a, lot, a lot of people stayed in the soap because they had a character. They know that they could be that character for 30 odd years, always were, always, you know, to get the attention. When did you decide? Did you just get tired of doing soap operas or did you go to your agent and say, I, I want to, there's more for me. Well, how was your transition to start getting into network, like sitcoms and dramas? sure that I quit the soap they might have just written me out because I was playing a teenager and soap operas weren't um, so full of young people then uh, usually the stars were ladies in their 40s and I was playing the daughter of one and then they would have a young storyline for a while and they wouldn't do that anymore especially in the summer when kids were home to watch it that was the way it was then so I don't, I, I think they wrote me out. I can't remember. And other soap opera opportunities came along, but uh, I was far more interested in theater, and I did do theater 
did theater out of town. I did a play on Broadway. And it, uh, and, but, and then my husband was my boyfriend and we decided to move to LA because you just haven't experienced business. I mean, it's divided between two coasts way before self-tapes and the ability to be two places at one time. So we went to LA and of course, all of a sudden, all you're reading for is TV and movies. But I had an agent because my agent had, was on both coasts. So that was good. And the first couple of years, I didn't get that much work. I was mostly reading for guest roles. And usually, well, there were just so many blondes, you know, <laughs> it was hard to be unique. Uh, and then once I started, it kept going. You mentioned Broadway. It wasn't what like it, a decision. It was... You mentioned Broadway. What is it like for someone who wants to be on stage when they get that call that they're going to be on Broadway? Is it just the great feeling of this ecstasy or, or is it like, oh man, I'm, I'm going to be on Broadway and it starts hitting your nerves. How do you react when you get a broad, I mean, you know, you know, you don't get bigger than Broadway. I mean, when people talk about acting, you know, see you on Broadway, you know, it's like comics. It used to be, oh, have you done the Tonight Show? No, you're not a comic. It's like, are oh, you an actor? Have you been on Broadway? What was it like when you got the call to be on Broadway? I mean, what went through your head? Well, I remember that I had auditioned for it so many times there were so many callbacks it was a very big cast and probably difficult to put that all together and I just kept getting called back and I didn't know what was happening and one day I dropped by my agent's office just something people do in New York nobody ever does that in LA but in New York they did and I walked in and my agent looked at me and said oh you know what I think you got that part <laughs> I said what and I was uh, extremely excited. It was everything I thought it would be. It was all of those things that you think. It was it's an absolute thrill. So professional. Uh, from the costume person to the wig person to the set designer. You just feel like you're in the best hands. It was a role that I loved. It was a comedy, Once in a Lifetime by Kaufman and Hart. And fantastic director, Tom Moore. It was very successful. It was very, very funny. And I felt like I had a real handle on the character. So I was, uh, and, and of course, I love rehearsal. I adore rehearsal. And generally, when it goes well, it just gets better and better all the time in the four weeks that you're rehearsing. And opening night, and in those days, somebody ran out and got the paper, and they were still hot. Get the reviews. Papers were hot. Hot off the presses. Somebody would come in with a pile of them, and you'd all sit around there at the opening night party, reading them. It's a thrill. So back to L.A. You're in L.A. You're, you're auditioning. When, how does Newhart come about? And as an actor, I'm sure when you find out you're auditioning for a show that has Bob Newhart, a legend, I mean, you know, just a legendary actor comic, you probably know if you get this show it, it's probably going to run for a few years. I mean, there's a good chance. I mean, networks aren't just going to say, hey, yeah, Bobby, the band in the ratings, you're gone. They're going to say, it's Bob Newhart. How was, the, how was the audition process for that show? And did you know going into the audition that it was for a Bob Newhart project? Oh, yes. I knew it was for uh, Newhart. I'm not sure I had seen Newhart yet because it was during its first year. Uh, and guest role and 
um, I had just done a series, Wizards and Warriors, for CBS. And then I was called in for this guest role. And it was so much like a guest role that I'd done on Cheers that I thought, this is a little weird. Should I really be doing, I mean, I would never think this now. <laughs> this is what you're like when you're young and you have no perspective. I thought, should I really do two things in the same season that are so much alike? Wasn't that not a good thing to do? I feel like an idiot that I never even had that thought. Are you kidding me? <laughs> really, the character was quite different, but the situation was very similar than it, that it, to the one on, on Cheers. So and my husband said, are you crazy? You adore Bob Newhart. I said, yeah, yeah, I know. Okay. So I went and I read for it. It was a very fun role. She was really nothing like the Stephanie that she turned out to be. This was a guest role and meant to be. And the character was um, a device to make Bob feel uncomfortable and uh, that sort of thing. But it was very fun. And if ever there was a comedian who I got, I got Bob Newhart. I mean, I got that timing. I got what he needed to react to. It was so clear to me. So I did the guest role. It was a lot of fun. Um, and I didn't think anything of it, but then because I was doing another series, which was airing at the time and which got canceled. And I was really sad about it for a couple of hours. And then I was called and asked to be a regular on the New Heart Show for the next season. Off of one, off of one guest role. So they just, you must have really impressed them that they wanted to bring you on. So that must really build your confidence. And you, I mean, it must be for a young actor, it must be a great confidence builder. Um, well, yes, yes, it was. <laughs> and it was an area where, it's funny because I started out being a dramatic actress. I wanted to do Nina and the Seagull like everybody else. And, but it was when I started auditioning for comedy that I felt confident because there are maybe girls, I would think, who had better cheekbones, who were taller, better figures, uh, cry more easily, but I knew I could be funny in a certain way that nobody else at the audition would be funny in that way. So that was mine when I went in for a comedic role. To me, the playing field was no longer level. Nobody would do it the way I would do it. Nobody would get laughs the way I would get laughs. I knew that. And to me, it was very different from competing for a dramatic role. And it gave me so much confidence because you know instantly in the room you're doing well. You get that feedback in a comedy. Now, when you get that role and you become a regular, you know pretty much your life is going to change. I mean, it's just something that, as we said earlier, it's a new art show. It's it's going to, this job is going to last for a while. How do you get adjusted to that? Because, you know, you've worked all the time, but now all of a sudden it's a sitcom, a well-rated sitcom with a legend. You know eyes are going to be on it. You know you're going to change because people are going to start recognizing you in public. I mean, how does, a, how does someone prepare for that? Well, I'd already been recognized from being on a soap opera. And so I knew what that was like. And that's interesting because people come up to you and want to know what's going to happen. It's a very different way of being recognized. 
because of the ongoing nature and the fact that I played kind of a bad girl in the soap opera. Not a lot to say when they recognized you. So this was a bit different. So I was not, I was, I had experience with that to a degree. It wasn't so sudden for me to be recognized from Newhart. Um, I'm trying to think. It was, the show was so successful, so solid. Um, I never had any concerns about it because it was Bob. I mean, how could it not be successful? Every time slot they put him in and they kept moving this new heart around, they kept moving Monday night around all the time. It didn't matter. It was, the show was good and the fan base wasn't going anywhere. And I was just in heaven being around Bob. And, you know, like Rickles hanging out on the set. The experience of being there was a much bigger deal to me than getting good reviews and notice and being on the covers of magazines. What was fantastic for me was getting to be in that atmosphere all the time with those people. I mean, Tom Poston had done vaudeville routines. These people were connected to the history of comedy. And I was the happiest person in the world to be there every day. It's funny. I I hadn't seen the show in a long time. And this year on Thanksgiving, one of these stations in Philadelphia was playing back to back to back to back to back Thanksgiving shows. And this is one where you were sick. You know, you were sick and it was just, you forgot, you forgot how solid the show was. And you're right. You know, you watch it and even, you know, just the whole cast. And that, as an actor, that must be similar to going onto a set like that where everyone's solid must be like when you know the new york yankees were in their prime prime days where everyone was talented and everyone there was a great synergy it must have been great to go to set every day because you were just around such talent and such the right everything was on point on that show i hated the weeks off mary and i used to say to, to each other don't you just miss everything on the week off? <laughs> and we knew, we all knew. We all were completely aware that this was like the best time of our lives. I can't emphasize that enough. And when the show ended, it was like I'd lost my family and my hometown all at once. It had been so grounding. I mean, I had my kids while I was on that show. And um, it was... It was just so nurturing. I knew Bob's family. I knew everybody's family. We knew each other's kids. I was playing a role I loved. And I was respected and I respected everybody. And we laughed all day. I mean, I would literally go home and tell my husband not to say anything funny because my stomach hurt from laughing all day. <laughs> I said, I can't laugh anymore. Don't make any jokes. Is Bob Newhart as dry and just sharp-witted in real life, not on camera, because he's got just got that character. You know, it's just, it's so, I don't know if it's dry, it's just, is he like that? I mean, is that him when you see him, or is he acting a little bit? Oh, um, well, he can certainly act, but, uh, yeah, he's doing bits all the time. Loves to tease. His humor is probably a bit more bad boy than you ever see professionally, you know, in person, because 
The joke is king. On that set, the joke was king. The same with Tom. You didn't not make the joke for reasons of taste or anything. The joke was there to be made. You made the joke. It's just like a bunch of comedians sitting around. They're not going to not make the joke. And that was all that mattered. You had to respect the joke. If you were someone who respected the joke, you were in. Because that was everything. Now, the show, was it... Bob's decision for the show to end, or was it the network, or what happened, and did you guys see it coming? Uh, actually, I didn't know there was going to be a, a, an eighth year, and that was a surprise. So we did the eighth year, uh, it was still going strong, and they wanted a ninth year. And it was Bob's decision not to do a ninth year. I think comedians know when it's time to get off stage leave their audience wanting more. He has a flawless sense for the audience. And I mean, I had little ones. It was fine with me, but it was still, it still seems wrong that I don't go to that set every day. And I've been on some wonderful sets and had some fantastic jobs, other jobs, but like that's, that's what was right. That's what I should be doing forever. That's how it feels. What is it like when it's over? Like when, when you come in from such a great experience, you know, you're, you've been up here. It's like, you know, and you know that it was a great show and you were blessed to be involved with it. But now you're an actor. You have to go back to acting. What is it like when you sit there and you know that nothing will probably be as good as that and if it is, you're and you get something also as good as Azure for some so long, you're one of the luckiest people in the world. I mean, what is it like when you sit there and go, I'm leaving? Man. Like and I'm sure you became very close with the crew because I'm sure the crew was like family and the writers. What is that like? I mean, what what do you sit there and do you lose a little bit of passion for acting because you had the best? I didn't lose passion for acting, but it always, it, not always, it often seemed after that like things were harder than they needed to be on a set because I had seen a set where there was no rancor and, uh, I mean, just, if Bob wasn't having fun every day, he would not have done it. There would be no point doing a comedy if you weren't having fun couldn't even imagine people trying to do comedy in a stressful situation and I had a few of those and it was very hard in that way I could see what was in the way of it being easier and flowing more than it than it was and that was uh, a bummer (laughs) but I also had some great experiences. So I really did, um, but it's it's nothing can really compare to that. So you also went on designing woman. Was that? Yeah. Yes, I was on designing women. And for a year. Yeah, and it got great ratings. Was this? Was it just? It did. Was it, it was just personality clashes? Is one of those things that you had said 
you see where there's sometimes there's an obstacle? Well, um, I do not know how the actors were the other years. Uh, they were not real happy that year. Um, the good thing about it was that I admired the actors tremendously. I had so much respect for them. Uh, I was kind of in awe of them. They were so good. And it, it was, you know, there was this element of, like, and this is how to be a woman. Well, not with Meshach so much, but with the girls. Uh, they were wonderful role models as women and as actresses. And I took that with me, and I appreciated that very much. But it was an extremely different atmosphere. Now, you, you wrote a book, Bad Auditions. Uh, tell me a little about yes. that book. Because, if, once again, you know... You hear somebody, you know, people who've been in the business have such fascinating stories. That's why I love interviewing people. You know, I was, you know, because there's always just have fascinating stories. Tell me what made you decide to write a book. And, and now with all this Zoom stuff, you could probably write another one called, you know, Zoom auditions. It became outdated almost immediately because this was probably, uh, I probably started it years ago or something like that um i can't even remember it was pilot season and i'm very bi-coastal and have been for the last six years or so my daughter lives in new york and i've been doing a lot of theater um but i had to be in la for pilot season this was before self-tapes and still with pilots they like more interaction there that's a much bigger casting process uh, so i had to be in la for all of pilot season. Don't like pilot season. I have a lot of things to say about pilot season. And keep myself from going crazy. I had this idea. Like everybody auditions in pilot season, no matter who you are. Candace Bergen auditioned for uh, her show. Everybody does. Because that's where the money is. That's where the big thing is. And they have a big choice. So... I thought, what can I do to distract myself while I'm doing all of these auditions and reading for the same evil mother over and over again? It was like I was reading the same script every week. <laughs> it got really old with the mother thing, the icy mothers. And I thought, I know. I have so much to say about auditions, but there are a million audition books write a book about having bad auditions and what you can learn from that because young actors would ask me things all the time and it's almost always about auditions because they're all terrified as they should be so I started to just write some about I was remembering certain things certain auditions I was trying to remember really hard from way back when I was young because I was pretty much addressing 20 year old me with my sage advice from decades of this and I just kept writing them. And then I thought, this book can't be very long. I'll just repeat myself because obviously it was all about preparation and being ready for the worst all the time. I'm saying the same thing over and over again. So I thought, I'm just going to submit it. And I Googled uh, publishers that will take submissions without an agent or something like that. And a publisher came up that had 
published a new play I had done off Broadway. And I thought, oh, I have that connection. They just published this play I did. So I approached them and they immediately said they wanted it. And they only did theater books and you know anything having to do with theater. So then I finished it and it was published and it immediately became out of date because <laughs> I did do an, a chapter on self-tape auditions. I didn't even know what a ring light was then. And everything just changed drastically. I did in my afterward or whatever you write at the end, acknowledgements. I should probably take a look at it again. It's been a while. But I said, I understand that I'm telling you how to act in the room and you don't even know how to get in the room. It's so much harder these days. It wasn't that hard when I started or I wouldn't have gotten in the room either. But it's much less accessible now. That's all because of the internet. And I sympathize with them and I can't help them with that that much. That's really hard. You have to have a connection. Uh, I would love to get my daughter an agent. But you can't just do that. And she hasn't been as an adult in LA at all. She lives in New York. So whenever I worked, I think, oh, I wish she was here. I could come to the set and could meet people. And that would be the best thing. It's very, very hard. And I should probably try to update it. Now, you had said you started doing theater again three years back. You had done theater, then you went to TV. What made you decide to do that? Is it something that you missed? Is it something that you've, once again, you've accomplished so much in your career that you can go back to what you really love? I know actors love comedy. You never I asked Richard Kind one time what he likes, comedy or drama, and he went on the whole thing about acting is acting. I thought he was going to yell at me. <laughs> I was like, wait a second. But what made you... Uh, what made you go, what made you decide that you wanted to do theater? Did, do you miss it? Is it something, like I used to do stand-up comedy, and I maybe do three shows a year. And when I get done a show, I'll go if it's local, and I have fun. But then I'm like, yeah, you know, on a Saturday night, I'd rather just hang out with my wife and drive an hour, you know, and deal with that, because I did it years ago. But did, but I do every miss it every once in a while. But for you, did you just start to miss theater? Is that what it was? Because it's something that, you know, you were in Broadway, and now people people enjoy theater in different towns. Like there's the Bucks County Playhouse near me, different places. They get great, great casts. Um, I have been wanting to do theater for a long time. I occasionally got a call about it, and uh, so that so I was like in my fifties, late fifties, I would say. And I really knew that the roles were great in that age range in theater. In TV, it's that mom over and over again. <laughs> I was up to here with the mom. It was written the same way, always written as a type, never written as a person, always as a type. Or maybe writers had terrible mothers or something, but... A lot of terrible mothers that I got tired of reading for. And a few times I have been called and asked about something, but it didn't work out. And then I read that the Pasadena Playhouse was doing, uh, no, wait, what was the first one? But I did Little Foxes. And I love that play. And I thought, oh my God, I love that play. Wouldn't I be right for Bertie? And I reread the play. And I thought, I've got to read for this. No one is ever going to think that an 80s sitcom actress could 
ever be right for a role that Maureen Stapleton played on Broadway. But I felt like I knew that role. And uh, my managers, uh, like his secretary, got real excited about this and she just stayed on them until they finally gave me an audition. This audition came through about two months after I started working on the part. Because I thought, I'm going to be ready in case you let me come in. And I knew it was an outside chance. And I worked my ass off on that part, getting ready just in case I got an audition. So I was incredibly ready more than I ever have been in my life when I finally got an audition. And it was just uh, a great experience, the audition what I wanted to do and I somehow fit in with the people already cast and the director's mind you know there's a lot of things that have to go right to cast and then I worked there a couple of other times and then I worked New York Boston I did Guess Who's Coming to Dinner in Boston and other regional theater and a lot of things came up that I just couldn't do because it's too much time out of town but it became what I wanted to do because every role was so rich, so worth playing, so unlike what I could find in TV. So what's the future for you? If, if you had a choice, theater opens. Let's say, let's say theater opens and, you know, I know here things are opening again. You know, I got my second vaccine. My wife's going to get her back second vaccine and we can finally go out to brunch. I mean, our one-year wedding anniversary was in September. We went to Watkins Glen because there was nothing. We wanted to fly somewhere and we couldn't. And, you know, we've been very, you know, I mean, my, I always joke around. I get excited when I'm going to the Dollar Tree. I mean, that's how much I've stayed in. And, you know, but let's say, it's, let's say theater, theater opens in six months and you were to go offer a great play or the evil stepmom, as you say on TV, as a regular. Which would you take? Which would you think? Would you? Because you know you're you've you've done so much, and you know probably now, it's for your fulfillment. Which which do you think you would take? I mean, because I'm sure the money would lure you to network TV, but then the creativity and just the meatiness of a role would pull you to theater. What would you what What would you do? great director, a great cast, a great role in a play would be impossible for me to turn down, especially if it was in New York, or close to New York. I have an apartment there, daughter's there, and I really want part of my life to be there. So, and I love four weeks of rehearsal. I love it. I mean, you practically have to drag me out of the rehearsal room when it's time to go to the theater, because it just seems like we should do that forever. We have to do it in front of people. Can't we just keep rehearsing it? That's how I feel. That collaboration is absolutely magical to me. And so much discovery, it's, uh, nothing can compare to it. And it's how I started. So it's really the way I think of acting. Well, that's awesome, Julia. I want to... being on stage. I want to thank you for taking the time today. I'm glad I, I you're, you're very active on Twitter. And I, and you just, you popped up on my Twitter. I think someone knew you and I said, I'm just going to ask her because, you know, I, I talked to a lot of other podcasters and they go, you always get really good guests. What do you do? I said, well, you know, my mom always told me when I was young, if you don't ask, 
you're not going to know if you're going to yes or no. So there's many times I tweet people, I don't hear anything. But then when someone goes, yeah, on Twitter, you're like, oh, cool. So I want to thank you. I mean, I always sit there. It's just, it's good because then it's good when, you know, people that you're a fan of and enjoy their work, you see them being active on Twitter. And it's good. I mean, what has got you so involved with Twitter? Is it just because you're bored or were you, before all this happened, were you active on Twitter? Well, I went on Twitter because I thought that I should to promote the book because I was completely clueless about Twitter and I didn't know that my target audience demographic aren't on Twitter. They're on Instagram. And now it's TikTok and I have really no idea how to reach them. <laughs> and life got in the way and I stopped promoting the book. But I discovered that Twitter, if you have, if you follow the right people, first of all, I got an touch with so many people from my past because a lot of my work was before the internet and you have this intense relationship working with people but before email and so forth you know you try to stay in touch but only go so long after the job is over and this has been a wonderful way to reconnect i've reconnected with tons of people uh, it helped during covid it helped during the last administration to keep me from going insane but I have nothing to do with the rancor of Twitter. I won't deal with it. I just block those people. But I have found so many people who are generous, uh, kind, vulnerable, lay themselves out there. And I think when Twitter is used that way, it's good for the whole world. I really do think that. It's good for everyone's mental health. I'm thrilled to see how vulnerable people are on Twitter how they express their feelings, especially during COVID and lockdown. And uh, and that just helps everybody's mental health when people you look up to with big followings express themselves that way. It's what the world needs. And that's what I use Twitter for. And if you have a good feed, follow the right people. I think it's great. And it's really helped me get through this year. So I love it. But I don't take on the trolls or have anything. Yeah, well, the trolls are awful. And you're uh, at Bad Auditions on Twitter, right? Your name is at Bad Auditions, I believe. Uh, <laughs> at my, my, my Bad Auditions, because Bad Auditions was taken. Okay, well, people, go follow Julie on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter. It's at... You put my name. What's that? Follow, follow me on Twitter. It's at Cooper Talk. What's that? Yeah. I think if you just put in the person's name, you see it, even though you don't know their handle. So people follow Julia, uh, Julia Twitter. Put her in Twitter. Follow her. Find Julia. Follow Julia Duffy. You'll get some good stuff. You hear some good stuff. Well, can you, you can't beat that. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at Cooper Talk. Follow me on Instagram at Cooper Talk One. Go to my website, coopertalk.net. You can find over 840 episodes. Email me, cooper at coopertalk.net. Go check out Julia's work. Go check out Newhart, man. You can tell you if you haven't seen it, you gotta see it. It's classic TV. It's just the, it's great. So, people, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you next time.